0: When I work with Asian and Asian American folks, I find myself having to encourage more. No, that is valuable. This is good. You know, you should say it. Okay, and then it's like, okay, I should say it. Okay, so then it's like, how do I say it? I do find myself having to take more of that inspirational route of first helping them build that confidence to make them see that what they're doing is absolutely valuable.
1: Hey everyone, this is Jay,
2: and this is Angie,
1: and welcome to another episode of Across the Lines, a place where we have candid and vulnerable conversations with Pan-Asian American leaders about identity, work, and the confluence of the two.
2: Join us on a journey to amplify their voices, humanize their achievements, and share their wisdom. Whether you're looking for advice or just want to hear leaders who've been there and done that, share their personal and professional stories, you've come to the right place.
1: Today, we're excited to speak with Jessica Chen. Jessica is the founder and CEO of Soulcast Media, a business communications agency, where she provides high touch strategies to elevate people's speaking and authority. Prior to starting Soulcast, Jessica was a broadcast television journalist, where she was awarded with an Emmy Award for her work at ABC 10 News and multiple Associated Press Awards. Jessica is also a top LinkedIn Learning Instructor, where her communication courses have been watched by over 1 million learners.
2: In this episode, we spoke with Jessica about defining humility for herself in order to become a more confident and effective communicator, how being one of the only Asian American women discussing communications gave her the energy and courage to found Soulcast Media, and how the primary communication challenges she coaches her clients on varies based on cultural background. Today, we have Jessica with us here. We're really, really excited for this conversation. How we like to start off our episodes, Jessica, is by asking our guests what their favorite food was growing up, since food is such a strong vehicle for so much of our culture and heritage and and experiences. What was that for you? Ooh, food.
0: Uh, The first thing that comes to my mind is actually sticky rice. And (laughs) I, and there's two reasons why I like it. Obviously number one, it tastes really good, but whenever I eat sticky rice, I actually just think of my grandma because that was actually what she used to cook. So when, anytime we would have family potluck, Thanksgiving, you know, that was a meal that she would cook for all of us. And I mean, her sticky rice was just phenomenal. Sticky rice in that sense, but also we have, you know, in Chinese, we have a, you know, zongzi, so that's one where it's like wrapped in that leaf and she used to make that as well. And I used to really like that. Eventually I actually learned how to make it myself. So sometimes I'll actually make some of that at home, just so I can get a little bit of that, you know, Asian culture since, you know, unfortunately my grandma's not here anymore, but that is one of my favorite foods to eat.
1: I love it. And and Jessica, was that growing up in, in the Bay Area? I know you mentioned that you're from Fremont. What was that upbringing like? And, and was your grandma able to make those types of dishes there with you in Fremont or how did that all come together?
0: Yeah, I would say I grew up in a fairly traditional Asian household. You know, all my family, my aunts, uncles, cousins, we all lived within 15 or 20 minutes of each other. So most of us were in Fremont. Some of them were in Newark, California. So getting together was actually something that we did quite often. And in Chinese culture, obviously, anytime you're together, there's always food, fruit, you know, all of that kind of stuff around. So those are some of the memories that I have early on, especially with family. And fortunately, because we were always so close in distance, we got to see each other a lot. So that was awesome. So when I say that I grew up in a fairly traditional Asian household, my parents, they immigrated here from Taiwan, both of them immigrated around, they were, I believe, around high school age or so. And then, you know, they settled here in the Bay Area. And when they had my brother and I, obviously, their dream was really for my brother and I to be even more successful, right? I mean, obviously, I think my parents did well for themselves, considering when they first came here. Course, they didn't really know English. Uh, My mom only went to high school. She didn't even go to college. So, you know, their dream for us was really to make sure that we, of course, studied hard, went to a good school, had a good career lined up for us. So in terms of some of the values growing up though you know it's the typical what you would say just work hard right you know don't try to like do anything that's going to disturb other people because you don't want to attract any attention generally my mom used to say if you attract attention it's never usually a good thing so she would always say you know just kind of like keep your head down just be on the quiet side be humble just do good work and just have that really show for itself right and so for the most part i mean I would say my brother and I were pretty good kids, right? You know, we really did study hard. We really, you know, and back in high school really did the AP courses, you know, did the pre-SAT prep, right? Anything that our parents told us to do, we kind of did it without necessarily arguing. And for the most part, it made them happy, right? They, you know, we weren't mischievous in any way. So in terms of growing up, being raised in a more traditional Chinese household, Those are some of the principles that I kind of held dear to me. And we can talk about this a little later on, but obviously going into the working world, you realize that you kind of have to untangle some of the things that you learn in order to kind of put yourself out there, which I'm happy to share a little bit more as well later.
1: Yeah, that was what was coming up for me, Jessica. By hearing the story of your of your parents and your mom wanting you to be um, humble and not putting yourself out there as much, not necessarily looking for the spotlight. And fast forward to where you are um, at your career right now, like running a media company and, and definitely putting yourself out there and seeing seeing like a really good benefit from that as well. Um, and before even getting to more like career stuff, like how did you go through that process of unlearning? Some of these ideas of not putting yourself out there too much because that's something that you do really well right now and but that's not something necessarily that your parents and, um, kind of taught you growing up how did you try to kind of untangle that
0: so it all really came to head for me when i first started working now my background i used to be a former television journalist that was my first career i was a tv news reporter And oddly enough, though, so I went to school at UC San Diego, and they don't have a journalism program. So what I ended up majoring in was in international studies. And I got my internships, which really was helped bolster my resume. And fortunately, I was able to get a job in news despite not having necessarily studied journalism. So fast forward, you know, I'm 21 years old at my first TV reporter job at NBC, and it was a huge culture shock for me. And I say culture shock because, well, first of all, I was living in Reno, Nevada. That was where my first job was. And I was 21 years old living in Reno, Nevada. I had no friends there. I was living by myself. And the only reason why I was there was because I wanted to work right there. And, you know, it was a great station and obviously everybody there were brand new people. I had no connections, of course, into that company. But I started to see that the people who really were the ones who got the coveted stories, got my boss's attention, were people who were just much more vocal than I was. And I remember really fondly, sometimes I'd be sitting in our, what we would call editorial meetings, and I would be like, wow, these people are just so comfortable in just talking, sharing, debating, challenging. And in my mind, I was like, wow, I would never think to challenge my boss or even like you know debate it's more like aren't you just supposed to say yes and do the work right so that was kind of like what i initially felt what i called friction internally in my heart and in my mind of like what i thought was appropriate of what i should be doing how i should be acting wasn't necessarily translating into career success career visibility And I actually want to share a really quick story that highlights this really well. So when I was at this job in Reno, Nevada, we were sitting in our editorial meeting one day. And these editorial meetings is where we talk about the stories of the day, the upcoming stories, so all of us can pitch and prepare and things like that. And one day, my boss tells us that the Blue Angels are coming into town. And part of them coming into town is they would actually allow a reporter to fly with them. And that was one of the stories where you could experience it. You know, you get your films, you know, flying with them. So they're doing all these tricks. And in my mind, I heard that and I was like, that sounds like the coolest story. So at the end of that meeting, I told my boss like, Hey, I know they're coming in two weeks. I would love to do that story. So I just kind of gave him that heads up. And then he goes, okay, noted. Sounds good. So for a good two weeks, I was like looking forward to doing this story. And then the day of the story, my boss goes, okay, so the blue angels, um, I'm just going to make up a name right now. Uh, Ben, you're doing the story. And I remember turning around and going, wait, what just happened? Like, I, I, I thought I was going to do the story. And so it and just imagine this feeling. It's something that, you know, you really wanted to do. You were thinking about it for two whole weeks and you were already kind of like I was conceptualizing how I was going to tell the story and you know all of that. And so when my boss said it was going to be somebody else, my heart just sank. It bugged me enough for me to actually ask my boss, "Hey, I'm just curious, you know, why did Ben do that story? You know, I was definitely interested." And I remember him turning towards me and he goes, "Oh, that's right you did want to do that story. I'm so sorry, I just completely forgot. It's just that, you know, Ben just kept talking about it. You know, he, every day, he was just talking about how excited he was, all the ideas he had, and I'm so sorry, I just forgot. And it's true, I'm sure he really did forget, but that moment, it kind of just made me realize, wow, if I don't get comfortable with communicating and talking about these things, I will get forgotten. My visibility is going to go down. And so that's kind of like one of those stories that I share that really show like, I need to learn how to be a better communicator.
2: Thank you for sharing that story. And it goes back to the classic parable of the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? The more you pound the table, the more you make noise, the more attention you'll get for better or for worse. And that goes against what you were taught growing up where you don't attract attention to yourself. So I can imagine the internal friction, kind of like cognitive dissonance you're feeling. I'm curious if you have any tangible tips to share from that experience and your experience, owning your voice and starting out that journey of being a more assertive and better communicator of how you navigated that internal friction and tension of knowing what you need to do, but also being kind of entrenched in what you were taught to do. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: So I think in terms of
0: tips, one of the things I learned along the way is approach is everything especially when it comes to communications and you know from going back to kind of this principle of humility right in the Asian culture instinctively when you hear the word humility you're thinking oh be humble kind of just like put your head down don't show off too much you know let the work speak for itself right and if you do otherwise People will see it as boasting, people will get turned off by it. So, again, that's kind of like my, what was my definition of humility. And I think, kind of like fast forward into the working world, well, one thing I will say is, you know it's not black and white right like that's not necessarily the definition of humility even though that was essentially what i was taught was a definition of humility right i think nowadays in our culture now we think of humility it truly is a very good thing so it's all about redefining it but for me i've even expanded that definition to thinking about okay yes we have to be humble but we also again how then can you advocate for yourself so it doesn't necessarily seem like you are again boasting? So that's where I talk about this approach. And through the years I've discovered that what is really important is in how you approach talking about yourself. That's really what makes the biggest difference. So for example, right? Like if you are if you did something amazing, don't not talk about it, right? That's kind of like the one thing I always tell my clients, like don't not talk about it, right? but it's how do you talk about it? So some of the tips that I share with my clients are things like going from this mentality of me to we. So even though, yes, you were a big part of getting this project accomplished, why don't you approach talking about it, about how it has benefited the company, right? How it's benefited the team. And as a result of that, people will see that oh, you were a part of that and you're communicating it, right? So it's that me to we approach. Um, Similarly, ensuring it's 100% alignment. No one can fault you for advocating for yourself when you're linking it to benefiting the greater good. And I think sometimes when we're thinking about communications, we kind of just blurt out, I got this project, I got this client, right? It's starting with I, I, I. But if you can go from, oh, we locked in this great project, we locked in this client, you know, it's also, I feel, easier. Uh, But these little kind of like interpersonal communication skills weren't things that I was necessarily taught early on. So I had to learn that myself.
1: I'm just thinking through uh, how much that advice can support me from a professional perspective, but also from a personal perspective, like just like having, having arguments with your friends or your partner, obviously like with people within your workplace. Like, I love that. How did going through your time as a reporter kind of lead you to um, becoming your own founder and like starting your own company? Communication is clearly really important to you. It's something that I can see you care a lot about. And so how did that all kind of translate and, and kind of meld together into the founding SoulCast?
0: One of the biggest reasons why I decided to start SoulCast Media is because I was not a good communicator early on I was not and first of all I'm not an extrovert I'm truly like introvert I'm kind of shy you know I can be kind of awkward and a lot of people are like wow that's so strange but truly I was like very just kind of to myself growing up but obviously when you start a career in journalism especially um, on television you are forced to sort of put yourself out there so that learning curve was I guess a. Uh, quite sharp for me in terms of having to learn what to do and how to do it, but it wasn't always easy. So one of the reasons why I started Soulcast Media is because I have so much empathy for people, professionals, Asian Americans or not, people who want to invest the time in learning how they can be better communicators, because... I used to always look around and be like, oh, this person's so good at speaking, but it was like, they were just born that way. I mean, some people truly are just born that way. They're just great at talking. I have some friends who are just fantastic public speakers naturally. I was not one of them, but because I had to learn how to do it, I was thinking, well, I have so much empathy for people who want to learn. And I was able to learn how to do some of these, you know, these tactical skills even that, I realized that this was something that I wanted to teach people. So when I first started Soulcast Media, did I have this grand vision that a lot of uh, founders or entrepreneurs? Not really. I, I really was just kind of starting from my heart where I was like, you know, I have this skill, I wanna teach it to people. And then, so for me, and I love the LinkedIn community, the LinkedIn platform, but it's provided a great outlet for me to just really just constantly provide tips, provide value. and hopefully some sort of inspiration for people to think, well, I'm not a good communicator, but Jessica says I can be, she has done it herself. Maybe if I try, I can get better. So that's really my hope. Unfortunately, we've kind of grown from there, but that was the start of it.
2: And talk to us too about the experience of starting something from the ground up as an Asian American woman founder too, right? I just keep getting brought back to your story about your upbringing and how it's very much keep your head down go with the flow. I think starting a company, especially when it comes from your heart and it's something you really passionately care about, goes against the grain of a lot of that. So how did you navigate that journey and what learnings did you have along the way?
0: (laughs) My mom was the biggest skeptic when I first started. And I have to say my mom is probably... The most traditional, like she was like, Why would you ever quit a job and do something yourself and make potentially zero money? (laughs) Right. Um, But I do think that because I was able to kind of show her the type of traction I was getting and just she could just tell that I was, and I explained to her, right. And I think that's kind of like, you know, miscommunication happens when expectations don't meet reality. And I think in her mind, expectation was that I would just work like this. But the reality of the situation was me kind of going out, me talking about communications, it was actually kind of gaining traction and I was doing well. So I had to kind of share and almost bring her along the process with me for her to be like, oh wow, you know, Jessica's actually doing something great. So I, I talk about my mom because my mom was a biggest skeptic. Uh, actually, and one of the reasons why I wanted to start Soulcast Media was because I just didn't see, well first of all, it was I thought unusual to see an Asian American face, a woman talking about communication. I I don't really know too many other people who I can think of from at least the top of my mind who's doing something like this. And that was also kind of like a motivation. I've always been of the mentality that if somebody else can do it, you know, why can't I try and do it, right? So that's kind of like, was so some of the energy that kind of allowed me to really push forward because yeah, in the beginning, it was quite scary. It did go against the grain of what I was taught because for me, you know, again, I've usually was more of the risk adverse type. I like planning. I like, you know, things that are very straightforward. So doing something like this, it was risky, but I think when I decided that I wanted to be a reporter, I thought that was also kind of a more risky career move, especially because a lot of my friends, they were also going into things like tech, finance, you know, business, or they're going to B-School, right? And I'm just here in Reno, Nevada, trying to be a reporter, right? So um, I think that kind of like helped build up that courage a little bit as well.
1: And I mean, one thing that's really important to us in the podcast is you can't be what you can't see. And and so if people like you aren't out there and becoming reporters and running their own media companies and becoming LinkedIn learning instructors and, and doing all these incredible things, then other people who may be younger can't look up to you or look up to people like you and believe that they can do something similar themselves. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of people like you. And that's why like hearing you and, and tuning into what you have to say is almost that much more important. I'm curious, Jessica, about your um, advising of certain Asian American leaders and leaders in tech and leaders in business. What do you end up seeing? And, and I don't know if your clientele base from your advisory or through your company is maybe just Asian American or outside of it. But I'm curious, like, what are the nuances that you end up having um, consistent conversations or coaching or teachings to Asian American uh, leaders or to like tech executives that? Um, maybe you don't have for other people with like outside of the demographic. I'm curious if there's any like takeaways or learnings that our audience can uh, take from that.
0: Mm-hmm. I love this question. So uh, fortunately, I actually work with all types of different, you know, I work with Asian, Asian-Americans, but I also work with lot of you know, Caucasian folks. And I will say it has been interesting though, because I have noticed that depending on who I'm working with and I'm talking about when I work with Asian, Asian-American folks, I do tend to see that, What advice I'm giving is slightly different than those who I'm talking with in terms of more like those who were just truly like, you know, you know, Caucasian, right? So the difference, what I mean here is, so when I work with Asian and Asian American folks, I find myself having to encourage more, encourage them more to know that is valuable. This is good. You know, you should say it okay. And then it's like, okay, I should say it. Okay. So then it's like, how do I say it? Right. But I think a lot of it starts with even things like, I don't know, like self-confidence even, maybe that's where it stems from, but I do find myself having to take more of that inspirational route of first helping them build that confidence to make them see that what they're doing is absolutely valuable. It's absolutely worth sharing. I will say that the second part of it is a lot of them especially Asian Americans that I work with, they are so numbers focused in terms of how they communicate. And a lot of times when I work with them, I have to get them to kind of get out of this mode of just talking about numbers, but have more of the emotion, the storytelling. Those are some of the things that I tend to focus when I work with you know Asian, Asian-American professionals. But on the flip side, when I work with those kind of um, Caucasian, I don't even know what's like the most appropriate way to say it, but I sometimes find that the communications help that they need is they have too much that they want to talk about. So it's all about refining, refining, refining. So if you can kind of see the difference between one side is more like, okay, building up the confidence to share more versus the other side, it's more about, okay, you have a lot you want to share because there's a lot you're proud of, but we can't share everything because you're just going to lose the audience if you talk too much. So it's different tactics. And I don't want to like generalize too much, but I have noticed that that is kind of the difference between the two. And it must stem from culture in some way, but I have found that actually to be very, very interesting in my work.
2: That's a really interesting observation. And I'm kind of thinking here, Jessica, tying this to your journey as well and sharing some of your your learnings kind of in that vein of building confidence in your voice and taking ownership of your communication. Could you share a bit about your journey through that process? It sounds like it's not something a lot of folks are born with, especially considering the cultural dimension that comes in here. But throughout your career, you know, rewinding to when you first started as like a a starry-eyed reporter to now where you're running your own company, do you have any tactical tips for how you managed to build up your own confidence through that as well?
0: That is a great question. And I always go back to talking about how I feel so lucky that I started my career in journalism because obviously, you know, journalism, I mean, it's, first of all, it's such a great industry because you learn so much in terms of, you know, what is, what does it mean to go out and find stories, talk to people, dig for stories, and then how do you put it all together so it's easily understandable, right? And again, because I didn't go to journalism school, I really had to just learn it on the job. So one of the great things about starting out my career in, in journalism is you first have to be able to figure out how do you communicate with people in a way that will resonate with them? And going back and you know, I'm thinking back to my culture as I'm talking to you guys about it, interpersonal communications was definitely not something my family and I talked about, right? I always felt, you know, growing up, a lot of the types of conversations we would have, especially from parent to, to kids, elders to juniors was, it could be sometimes very transactional. Do this, do that. Yes, no, don't argue, right? It, it wasn't so much of like a conversation or dialogue. And when I say transactional, I, I kind of really truly mean that, that, you know, it was just, I listen and I do. But when you become a journalist, you really realize that as you're engaging with people, you really have to learn a lot about human nature, psychology, you know, what motivates, what gets people to resonate, right? And of course, that, of course, translates into how you speak and how you present things to them. So one of the great things about starting out in that field is because I was able to learn these skills of, okay, how do you take a dense or even a boring subject matter? And how do you make that interesting? Or how do you take a very complicated concept? And how can you essentially simplify it? So that's actually at the heart of the work that I do now that I absolutely love and that parallels so beautifully with my career as a journalist, because we always did have to take complicated convoluted topics and simplify it. So in communications, even in everyday work, right? People, I think that's one of the challenges a lot of people face is like, how can I communicate this? So it resonates with my team or resonates with stakeholders. So I love being able to do that kind of work.
1: I love that, Jessica. You've already given us like a lot of amazing tips and advice. Um, But as we kind of wrap here, I'm, I'm curious, what was the best thing that you've done for yourself in your career? Again, you've already, you've already shared a lot, but I just wanted to kind of create the space to see if there was anything else that you wanted to share for our listeners.
0: The best thing I did for my career, I think the one thing that I have been pretty mindful of is knowing, or I guess being able to distinguish between if I'm afraid of doing something, is it because I am afraid that I'm going to fail or is it really because it's a bad idea, right? And so being able to distinguish between the two has given me essentially the courage to try. And I think that's probably been an asset more than anything. I've always been of the mentality of, well, I know it's scary. I know it's unpredictable. I know there's a lot of uncertainty, but at least just try. That was my mentality when I started out as a reporter. That's my mentality when I decided to leave to start my own business. Uh, so yeah, just try. And it's kind of fantastic in terms of like what you can learn along the way, because the thing is you won't learn until you actually are in it, in the thick of it. Uh, because if you aren't, a lot of it just becomes theoretical, right? It's just what you read about, it's what you hear, but if you don't do it, you won't experience and learn it yourself really, so. That's probably my biggest advice, I'd say.
1: That's a beautiful way to end it. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure to hear your story. Also hear like all your very tactical advice on how to be a better communicator. It's been a pleasure.
0: Well, thanks, Jay. And thanks, Angie. Thanks so much for having me.
2: Thanks so much for tuning in to Cross the Lines with your hosts, Angie and Jay. If you enjoyed today's conversation about the intersection of work and Asian American identity, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to spread the word. We'd really appreciate it.
1: And as always, you can head over to acrossthelinespodcast.com to learn more about the show, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.